What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Lighting Cash Podcast. I got Marcos Ruiz, the man that went now making 10k a month with just about 3,000 followers. Just another example that likes in cash. My name is Marcos. I've been ghostwriting slash content writing for about six months now. I went to college for marketing. I was in the Army National Guard for six years, and I've kind of tried every business model under the sun. Over the last six years, I went from affiliate marketing, day trading, crypto. I had a, a ad ads agency. I did Amazon FBA. I kind of done it all, um, and I finally landed on one that I really loved and one that really worked. And I'm grateful that I found tweets and clients, and it kind of brought me down from struggling and going through Upwork and trying to find just any client to pay me any money to giving me a clear direction and a clear framework. And I've been in tweets and clients for only less than a month now, probably like 25 days, and I went straight up to 10k a month in maybe a couple of weeks kind of just gives you everything you need clarity motivation accountability framework pretty much everything i needed was here and once i realized that i kind of just got to work and elevated and it's, again it's only been a month so hoping to go much further than that and have another episode no i appreciate it appreciate it yeah. the, i want to um, i want to talk about your journey and one like key thing holding ghostwriters back it's cool that you're a ghostwriter because i started that way too yeah. But how does one get a ghostwriting client with little followers? I think I think it's important to have leverage when it comes to writing. I think if you have not a lot of followers, you need to be writing content on your page that's not just going to go get likes because likes ain't cash, it's true. But it's it's more so you need to frame it and have leverage so that people want to pay you more money. So there's only one way to get to to provide value to your client and that's to get them more followers or get them more money. And depending on what they want, they're going to pay you as such. So for me, I write content and, and try to have threads and, and articles and stuff like that that are going to show and show directly or move directly to what my client's going to want. So for example, I have a client who is paying me now 8K a month because I can make them more than 8K a month with my writing. And your job is just to convince them that you can make them more money than, than that they're paying you. It doesn't matter how many followers you have. It matters how much money you're going to make them. And it's a no-brainer that way, and that's what makes sales easy. So I'd say step one to being a good ghostwriter with as many or as little followers as you want to actually be a good writer. Um, and I think step two is to learn how to write in a way that it's going to make money for your clients. If your clients can make more money with your writing than they're paying you, they're going to pay you as much money as they can to keep you. And that's something I learned very quickly. So what's, I had a ton of questions there. So one is, before I get into where do you find them, I feel like you made a really good point between there's, there's writing and then there's profitable writing. What's the difference? Yeah. I think writing, you can say, there's so much, there's, it's so broad on, on Twitter. When you look at Twitter ghostwriting now, and I hope there's ghostwriters listening because I've, I've connected with a lot of them through JK's program, there are. through JK's The Cash Dojo, and I hope they're all listening because ghostwriting is so, so broad. I, I know ghostwriters who are doing ebooks. I know ghostwriters who are doing emails, ghostwriters who are doing tweets and threads, who are doing motivation, who are doing sales. It's very broad. So when you think Twitter ghostwriting, take it a step further and niche yourself down to who you're going to work with. You only want to work with software founders. You only want to get people followers. You only want to get them more sales. So that's step one. And the first thing I realized, I've been ghostwriting for a few months now, and I've 
I quickly realized that I would say 90% of the market is guaranteeing followers. Everybody's trying to sell followers, which is great because it worked in the past. But when it works and everyone talks about it, now everyone's doing it. So what's going to separate you, me, with 2,000, 3,000 followers from the guy with 150,000 followers guaranteeing 10,000 followers, right? Yeah. It's not going to be followers. It's going to be how much money I can make them. And that's kind of how, that's kind of the light bulb that went off in my head. I quickly realized I need to make them more money and not more followers. And the way you do that is you go and you find people who are making money with their writing, right? So people that I could find frameworks off of like JK and like uh, the eddies of the world, people who are already selling something with their writing, taking those frameworks and reverse engineering them and now writing those kinds of things for, for my clients. I, I know a few ghostwriters that they sell something. They, they just don't sell followers. One of them is very interesting. He not only does ghostwriting, but he part of his value add is he goes through the people who like and comment their client's stuff. And then he'll set them for calls. So he's a ghostwriter and a setter. And that's kind nice. of his value add. So he gets them book calls. The other guy only ghostwrites for authors, right? So the interesting thing here is I'm not only going to get your followers, but I'm aiming to get you speaking gigs. And that's kind of his I angle. Like what a, yeah. I used to sell ghostwriting uh, for like Gumroad courses and getting you email clients and getting you agency clients and getting you just connections. Man. There's no construction at my house. But uh, be, before we even get into like what, what your offer is, where do you find these people? How do you know who might be a prospect? So I think finding prospects, once you find your niche, it becomes a bit easier to find your prospect. There's a million ways to find who you're looking for. And I think this is one of the, the main things you need to get down as a ghostwriter is how to find the right clients and reach out to them in a way that's not going to scare them away. Because as soon as they're... As soon as they think you're a spam DM or they think you're, you know, the average person getting lost in requests, the, the sales. That's it. You need leverage, especially if you only have 100 followers, 1,000 followers, um, something like that. What was the original question? Yeah. How do you find prospects? What do you, what oh, do you yeah. say? So I think finding prospects, there's a couple different ways to do it, right? So who's going to be, whose content are they already consuming, right? So for example, JK is a great one. He has a lot of people following him that are CEOs and founders that are trying to grow on Twitter, right? <laughs> so you need to find the CEOs and the founders that A, don't have the time to continue with their account growth or B, don't know how to grow their account. And I think the first one that I just said is very untapped right now because at the moment, everybody's trying to, like I said before, everyone wants to, to guarantee followers, right? But how about reverse engineer that? People that already have 10K followers and go to them and see how are they going to monetize that audience now? That's kind of the way I looked at it. Because I can't just guarantee 10, 10K followers when I only have 3K followers, right? But I can guarantee that they can write content that if they're selling a $5,000 package, I can sell at least one or two of those a month with my writing. Now they're willing to pay me $5,000, right? If they can make minimum 10K, they'll pay me five. And that's kind of the way you look at it. So go to people that are posting content about how to grow as a CEO, as a founder, selling programs, growing your list, the Eddie's, the JK's of the world, the Dickie Bushes of the world, the Dakotas of the world. And now look at all the founders and CEOs that need to monetize their profile. People that already have profiles that are doing well in terms of followers, but may not be doing as good as they want in terms of sales or cash. 
Yeah, people don't talk about that enough, man. Like, there's a lot of big accounts. Nobody talks about it. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's talking about homage, yeah. homage, Michael Profidio. Like, yeah, the real ones know. But <laughs> there's a lot of people who have these big followings, and deep down, they're secretly embarrassed because there's people like Marcos making so much more money than them with three thousand followers, and they're like embarrassed exactly. because they don't know how to get book calls. And if you come in as a way to like. Like they're really gonna hire you for getting book calls and for like writing things that yeah. make them money. Nobody's nobody's doing that because everybody's writing the ten threads about Jeff Bezos and ten books that'll ten x your life and retweeting the shit out of it. Yeah. And that works, but not as well as before. What's the your experience the, with that? I would say the top objections that I face too, especially and with the with the clients that I just described, those are the clients that I'm currently working with. Then I would say the top two objections have been they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have enough time to write it, and B, they don't want to just write platitude content, content that everybody writes already. They want to actually stand out, and they actually care about their image. Because these people, you got to think, they already have 10K plus followers. They already have an image that they want to uphold. Now they actually want writers who can sound like them or impress the people that are already they're already following them. They don't want to just post seven Google extensions, seven books, and seven lessons that they learned from Jeff Bezos. Because now it just makes you kind of look cheap. And now the people that are following them may not respect them as much. Yeah. So that's Alex Formosi. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was just going to say Formosi did something that said every con- every piece of content that you do should answer the question, why should people listen to you? And the Jeff Bezos threats don't answer that question. That's why no. they don't make that much money. No. And that's why I think I'd say that the two, the two types of content that I've honed in on for both myself and my clients have been testimonial case studies stuff that it's either results for a product or service they're already selling or some sort of transformation that they have undergone or a transformation that someone they know has undergone or one of their students have undergone. And this is why I like to work with people who have some sort of program or some sort of product or service that they actually already established. I highly recommend working with established people. That's another thing, whether they have 10K or followers or not. It's not just how much money they're making. It's are they actually having an impact? Are they interesting? And I, I, I'd push for ghostwriters to be picky about who they work with because I've worked with people in the past who I didn't quite believe in their product as much as I, I wish I did. And it made it very difficult to write. As soon as I started working with people who have cool products and services that I actually might care about or actually think are interesting, it was very easy to write and also very easy to get results. Because now I'm writing with passion. I'm writing about people that have changed their lives, about different things. It makes it very easy to write. When, when you feel it and when you write something that you actually like, I, I believe that people can feel it. I don't mm-hmm. understand why. But you could write the exact same thing, but it has different feeling. I believe people are really good at smelling the intention of it. And that's why they respond. Have you, have that, you found that? Yeah. And that actually goes back to what I feel like me, me you and Eddie were talking about this, this morning. I, I woke up and the first thing I said was, you ever just write a piece of content so good that you wish it was for you and not your client? That's how that's how I feel like every ghostwriter should feel about the the content they're writing, and I think if you do feel that way, your content is probably worth more, and you're probably going to be getting paid more, and your clients are going to be happier. So that that's kind of what I what I realized this morning. It's it sucks, but it's also great for business. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is. Oh, dude, yeah. now it leads us leads me to the next question: What content do you write for them, and how do you make it good? Right. So I would say. Going back to what I said before, the, the first piece of content that I really hone in on is case studies, 
Um, case studies are amazing because they're unique per client. You can have unlimited case studies as long as you're working with actually successful, actually impactful founders and CEOs and businesses. So case studies are huge. And if you learn the frameworks of how to actually write a case study on Twitter successfully, which there is a good way, and I, I highly recommend you follow some of the people that are in this like ghostwriting niche, like JK and stuff like that. Like you'll see how you can turn a good case study into a good thread. That's a huge one because people like results now and Twitter's getting very saturated with yelling at people or telling people what to do. I think it's more now about telling stories, telling how someone did this, how I did this. This is what I've been tweeting about the last few few weeks a lot. It's a lot more going to be how I did this, how they did this and how it's already been done and not so much how you can do this, how to do this and telling people what to do. So I think that's number one is telling stories with case studies. Can we talk about what your case study framework? I'd love to hear that. Yeah, let me let me pull up one of my. Um, oh, we're so pulling up the Notion dashboards. That's how you know sure it's I good. Butcher it. Yeah, and and I I also highly recommend as a ghostwriter is you you separate yourself in a lot of different ways. Something some way I've separated myself is I create a Notion hub with with all of my established clients, and we kind of have like an idea queue because the. The reason you're going to get stuck writing platitudes is because you don't have enough good ideas from you and your client to actually write. And as much as you want a founder to be hands-off, if they're going to be hands-off, you're going to run out of ideas. So you need to kind of set expectations early and actually get some sort of stream of case studies and testimonials and then also maybe ideas for what they actually would want to say. Um, so the framework I use for case studies, there's a couple. So the one I've used is the I did this, or rather the I, my client did this in this amount of time. And it's important to have numbers. So it's my client did this, or my student did this, or my product achieved this in this amount of time. And it's important to have time. You want to have like under 90 days, whatever, have money, how much money your client may have made. You want to have your social proof first. So that was like the main framework that worked for me is having social proof. And then under the social proof, have a tagline. I call it a tagline. I don't know if that's actually the word for it, whether it's like seriously or like they actually did this or like it was that easy or no true story, necessary. true, true story. Like you understand because you're a ghostwriter. That second tagline is very hit. It's very good right now. It's very trendy. Um, and this may change. I hope this is a timeless podcast, but this is what's working right now for, for actionable. And then line number three, here's how I did it. Here's the story, you know, let's go for a ride, mini thread. Like I I kind of prefer not so much thread. I think thread is getting corny. I think you should have like, here's the story. Here's this, here's that. I think thread is boring, um, but it's important to have these shorter hooks when it comes to case studies, literally just hook tagline. Here's how, here's the story. Here we go. Like that's kind of my case study framework that I've been doing. And it's been crazy. Millions of impressions, I would say in November. How do you structure the content of the thread? So the content of the thread, it's funny. I actually originally had, I was struggling with this because I was like, I don't know how to do it in terms of like making it sound good, but also making it easy to read. I would say the basic copywriting principle should be applied here. Uh, one line per sentence, um, kind of a main idea to each tweet. And something that I personally do is I treat each new idea like its own tweet. So instead of just having sentence, space, sentence, space, sentence, space, I'll have 
maybe one of my tweets in my thread is going to have bullet points. One of my tweets in the thread is going to have a picture with an explanation. One of my tweets in my thread is going to be in how to with examples kind of having tweets within the thread makes it so much easier to digest rather than having one drawn out article or one drawn out paragraph, just draw it out into different tweets. That's something that I think that's really important because you do want to keep the reader reader engaged after the hook, as much as everyone says the hook is amazing. The content does matter in terms of actually getting the retweet because the hook's going to get them to read it. Right. But that thread is what's actually going to make them resonate, retweet, follow by, et cetera. So your thread actually has to be good as much as the hook matters. Yeah. And in the end, do you ask them to book a call or DM them? What do you do? Exactly. So I would say the two ways I've done this is if it's a, I don't know the exact numbers in terms of amount of tweets, but if it's a small to medium sized thread, I'm going to have a call to action at the end. And if it's a long thread, I think it's really smart to layer your call to actions within the thread as well as at the end of the thread. So maybe throw a mid tier call to action. Um, like, by the way, shameless plug, like if you're enjoying this, like click here, follow me and then keep going. I think that's really good. Um, I actually made a tweet about this. It's I think call to actions are amazing and shouldn't be underrated. You should have them in every thread, if not even multiple per thread. Because that's, again, like saying cash, you need to if you're going to go viral and not convert any sales, then it's like unless you're only getting followers point? and that's it. Yeah. What's the point? <laughs> I mean, you got to make money. I feel like. Everybody yeah. is, is taught like, okay, so you're here and then you want to get to a point where you make money and they show you that it's just one bridge, but they don't, if you want to build a bridge, you can't just build it from one side, right? Because then you'll be stuck at the half. You need to build it from the other side. And yeah. I feel like the first half is the audience building and nobody talks about the other part, which is the monetization. So you have a lot of people with incomplete bridges. They just never complete that and, and they don't make any money. So like that's exactly. where likes and cash comes in. Yeah. And and I have nothing against people guaranteeing followers. It's a great business model, but it favors it, In my opinion, it, it favors the people who already have hundred K followers. If you only have three K followers or less, which I guarantee 90% of the people listening to this have no followers or a little bit of followers. You need to separate yourself from what's already the saturated part of the market. It's going to work. If you want to guarantee followers and you send out 50 DMS a day, you're going to get a client. But if you want to get clients, if you want to leverage yourself against people that have more followers than you guarantee money or I don't even have to guarantee it sometimes, but you need to make your client more money. Um, yeah, that's, that's key. A few questions there. If I don't, you can say no to this, but, uh, retweets, uh, do you want to talk about it? Yeah. Hell yeah. Do you, do you, do you choose the threads? Hell yeah. So uh, this was the deep, dark, magical secret of, of this is the, I actually tell my clients this. I'm like, this is the deep, dark arts of Twitter that no one talks about. And if you're a ghostwriter, it's even harder because you need to find the retweets to actually juice up a lot of these threads. I do have clients that don't want retweets, which is perfectly fine, which is actually a perk of working with established people who don't might not need retweets. Yeah. But I also work with people who've paid me more ad spend so that I don't have to eat into my fees so that they could buy extra retweets. Um, I would say the best way to find retweets is use your common sense. Like you need to, you need to look at the people that are retweeting 50 tweets in the morning and be like, okay, that person's obviously selling retweets, you know, get their telegram. It's, it's not that hard. Just like use common sense. Like, and, yeah, and yes, I, I'm juicing the crap out of the, out of the, out of the threads. <laughs> me too. There was a point where I started hating retweets because people thought that it was 
kind of the super glue of Twitter. Like it was going to fix every problem, right? No. But a, a retweet, I, I find that it makes fires bigger, but it doesn't start them. Like the tweet needs to already be good before you juice it for it to be extra good. But if it's not good, a retweet won't save it. I agree. I have tweets that I've on my accounts that I've done like, you know, 50 likes and I've gotten retweets, a total followers out of all of retweets, like a million followers worth of retweets and got like 50 likes. And then I have yeah. uh, a, a, a good example. My clients, my one of my clients tweets did amazing. It got, it did amazing. It got 800 likes. And then that was five, I bought five retweets for that client. And then I had another one that went off and got 7,000 likes. I bought three retweets. It just doesn't, it's, it's not the end all be all. I think yeah. it's good, but I think you don't need them as much as you'd think. Like it's not going to solve everything. You actually have to be good at writing, which I quickly learned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I learned that the hard way of spending a ton of money and then they wouldn't grow. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That's and don't think it's, oh, it's the quality of the retweets. Like, I promise you it's you, not them. Don't blame other people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's almost like you've already got this objection 17 different times and you already know what to say. I've yeah. I had, I had a, I had a guy, my, when I first started ghostwriting, I was like, honestly, like, I don't want to, I don't want to work with you anymore. Like my tweets aren't doing good. And I came back two months later and I was like, let's continue working together. I realized it wasn't you. It was me. <laughs> And I was like, I want your retweets again. <laughs> yeah, it happens. It happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, okay. How do you how do you sell them? I like I love to know that. Okay. So you saw a prospect. You see a CEO with a certain amount of followers. What's next? This is good. I actually completely one hundred percent follow the closer framework from Alex Hormosi. Um, I get them if I if if they're getting to a call, it's because they're warm. My Calendly has um, all the questions. I need to filter out anyone that's not going to be a good fit. My Calendly, this is another part of the Alex Formosi training, and I, I maybe you can link it or something. Um, there's a couple of Alex Formosi videos that you should watch. One is the closer framework, and two is the the application funnel um, video. The Bant. Yeah, Bant. Exactly, Bant. So Bant for your applications and, and closer for your sales calls is – everything you need to get to 10k a month <laughs> like yeah is basically it's going to filter out people who can't afford you don't want to start right away um aren't a good fit etc for the call and once they're on the call and they've already passed through that filter now it's just closer framework clarify whether they're label their problem etc i don't remember all of them but that i i had yeah. when i have my sales calls i have two monitors i put the closer framework acronym on my left screen and then i have them on my on my straight screen it's pretty funny <laughs> Well, I I can talk about Bant. I don't know closer, but maybe I can talk about Bant and you talk about. Closer. I'll pull it up while you talk about Bant. Cool. So Bant is B A N T, budget, attention, need, and timing. So what that is is a way to filter applications, and I have that on my application page or my Calendly. Um, I'll I'll start with with authority. So authority is just can they make a decision? So the way I frame those is: Are you the sole decision maker? Or do you need someone else to make decisions for you? And the way you frame that is very like ego driven. It's like, no, I don't need anybody to make decisions for me, bro. So that's why they click, yeah, I'm this old decision maker. Yeah. And need is basically like, what do you want? So for me, as I get people clients, it's like, okay, so how many clients do you have? And how many more can you take? Essentially. 
Um, then budget is I so I usually ask if you got this amount in this much time. If this you got this amount of clients in this much time, how much extra revenue would that mean for you? And they'll tell me. And then I'll I'll say what would be a reasonable um, budget for this? What would be a reasonable? Yeah, how much could you spend for this? And then I mention the numbers. And my price is usually the lowest one. So what would be a reasonable budget for this? 10K, 15K, 20K? The price is 10K. But by framing it as a slower one, by the time you get in a call, it's not a surprise. I learned that from Mike Hoffman on Tweets and Clients. Super sick method. I take a, I've actually been taking it a step further. I, I go, I put the 10K, 15K, 25K, and then I don't charge them any of that. I charge them like 4K, 5K, 3K a month. And it, it's a... So funny enough, it's when you charge them, for example, 4K a month, it's a $48,000 contract. It's actually higher than everything there in terms of oh. flat fee. So you just charge them way less than anything that was there. Um, and basically, you're framing yourself as being extremely low, but you're actually being way higher than that. And the only the only caveat to this is you actually have to be good at it and actually have to retain them. <laughs> Which, yeah. There's a great there's a great thread from Andre Hay, something like that. Andre, Hi, Cole. What's his name? Yeah, there's a great thread from him on client retention that that I follow religiously with my clients with um informal check-ins, weekly KPIs. That's really good for retention. I actually send, this is kind of off track, but I actually send my clients um, custom-made pens with cases as welcome gifts. I send them a pen oh. that has an a founder engraving with their name on it and everything. Don't steal my sauce if you're listening to this. But oh, they will. They will. <laughs> they will. They will. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, I want to talk about the Andrew thing and the. Just the last thing is timing on band. It's timing. Yeah. And I asked them, when would you like to start? It's uh, not right now, next month, or it's not a priority right now, next month or immediately. And I only will talk to the people who respond immediately. So that way it kind of frames them for the call. By the time you get on the call, you already know what's the budget, how much do they make, do you want to start, what's the need, and it's easier. So that's the yeah. band framework for the application funnel. Yes. Yeah, so for closer framework, so this is once they're on actually on the call and you're face-to-face -face like this, um, see, clarify what they're there for. So someone gets on the call, like, oh, okay, so so you need a ghostwriter. Like, and then they're like, yeah, I need a ghostwriter, blah, blah, blah. Um, L, label them with a problem. So this is where I'm like, okay, so you're not growing or you want to make more sales from your Twitter, something like that. Um, they're like, well, yeah, that is true. Actually, I need to make more money from my Twitter and or grow my Twitter. You're right. <laughs> I do have a problem. Uh, o, overview their past pain. So this is like, okay, have you worked with a Twitter ghostwriter before? Um, have, I, I, I go, what I do personally is I open their account and also have that open on my monitor, my second monitor. And I'm like, okay, looks like you have some threads here that did pretty good. Or it looks like you have threads that didn't do pretty good, but they have good content. So now if they have threads that did pretty good in the past, I'm guessing me personally, it's almost always because they have a bandwidth problem. They don't have enough time. They're like, it looks like you have threads in the past. Why aren't you just doing more of that? Like, okay, well, I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have that's those are the easy ones to close because now it's just like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> like, I'll just copy yeah. what worked for you. <laughs> like, I'll just copy your old threads and then do them for you more frequently, right? Um, or it's like their threads didn't work in the past, so it's like, okay, like it looks like your content's good. Here's how I would redo it. And that's where you live face to face just redo their thread with a different hook or like off the dome stuff like that. If you can't do that, you probably shouldn't be ghostwriting. So it's like, Overview their past pain is easy. Um, and this kind of automatically just goes into S, which is sell them the vacation. You're basically selling your service. You're like, 
okay, you don't have the bandwidth or you don't have the time or, okay, you have the content, but it's just not good. This is where you sell them on reducing the bandwidth that they need or you're saying, okay, I can do it for you or, okay, I can rewrite, I can write all these threads that you've already done in a better way and I can actually provide you with more ideas, give them the price and then you shut your mouth. What I've found is they don't usually fight back on the price because I only work with established people, right? So people that already have followers, people that already have money, seven figures. This is what you preach a lot is like six, seven and eight figure entrepreneurs that don't really need the money. They're going to pay you anyway. Um, But if they are, this is where you basically repurpose what I said before and say, okay, you're paying me 3K and your program is worth 2K. I only have to sell two two of your programs in a whole month with all these threads that I'm going to be writing for you, two to three threads a week. And you're going to sell way more than you're actually going to pay me. And that's kind of how I would explain away the money concern, Um, which is in ghostwriting, the only concerns are going to be the money or the quality of the followers that they're getting. So they're going to be like, if you already haven't framed this in the DMs, which I usually do, they're going to be like, okay, like I've either worked with ghostwriters in the past who wrote mostly platitudes or I wrote for ghostwriter, or I see other people that just have platitudes and they're growing, but there's just like motivation. They care about their image. They only want to write niche down threads. So this is where you explain away their concern. They're like, I'm going to write you case studies. I'm going to write you stories. I'm not going to write you seven Google Chrome extensions and eight books and 12 voodoo spit gargle cold shower. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Yeah, the way I frame that is I told them we're going to get on what I call a Joe Rogan call for two hours. I'm just going to let you talk and you're just going to tell me stuff. And have you ever had a point where you get on a Zoom call or you're chatting with someone? You're like, man, I'm I'm spitting like I'm this fire. Like, yeah, that's that's the questions I got designed for you. So by the time I write, I wouldn't write anything you hadn't had said before. They're like, oh, That makes sense, right? So we just keep going. Well, when I used to do that, man, ghostwriting has a special place in my heart. I sometimes I'm like, man, this is that was a good place to start. I loved it. Um, I don't know much about this space now. I haven't ghostwritten maybe in like six months, but uh, it was fun while it lasted. You know, I think yeah, and I think there's actually another misconception in ghostwriting, and I think so. I guess it kind of well, finish closer real quick. It, the R is just reinforced the decision. Oh yeah. So. For me, I send them a welcome gift and I write them a banger thread right off the rip. So the first thing you're going to do is you're going to write them the best thread you've ever written in your entire life. You're going to send them a welcome gift and then you're going to put as many retweets as you could possibly afford into it. And because Alex Hormosi says that I think it's like 90% of clients decide within the first two weeks if they made the right decision. So you need their first one or two threads needs to pop off if you want to retain that client for the full year, right? Um, yeah. So, so that's the R. But what you were saying, I think a common misconception with ghostwriting is oh, I can only take on two or three clients, right? Before my brain turns into vegetable juice and I can't write any more for any more clients. Um, and something I quickly realized in the past few weeks is that your job is, if your job is to make them more money, all you have to do is continue making your client more money and they're going to pay you more money and they're going to give you more work and they're going to want you to do more. Um, and I think it's, do you know Damon John from Shark Tank? I know of him. He, he's, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people say this, but there's only like three ways to make more money in a business and that's to get more clients, uh, sell your current clients more or come out with new SKUs or something like that. Basically, as a ghostwriter, you have one option and it's not get more clients and it's not come out with different products and services. It's to sell your current clients on more and more and more. So I think that's something that a lot of people can do and I think that's going to be the next level of ghostwriting that hasn't really, hasn't released yet. I don't think anyone's doing it. I don't think there's... 
there's not many 100k a month Twitter ghostwriters. I see seven-figure ghostwriters who do books and stuff, but I haven't seen the seven-figure Twitter ghostwriters, and I think that's I think that's up next. Oh man, that's a challenge for everybody. You make me want to get back into the game. <laughs> no, like, no, no, man, you can interview just... me. 